All right. Hello. Welcome to this next episode of the Sisters on the Frontlines podcast. I'm super excited to be joined by my guest today. Her name is Tammy Hill. I'm sure if you have seen anything in like the LDS sexuality space, Tammy is there and she is really good at what So she is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She is passionate about strengthening marriage relationships. She's an active member of the American Association of Sexual Educators, Counselors, and and Therapists. And she has enjoyed being an adjunct faculty member at Brigham Young University in the School of Family, shout out BYU, (laughs) in the School of Family Life. Where she taught hundreds of students each semester in marriage preparation, marriage enhancement, and healthy sexuality in marriage courses. And I'm sure if you know anyone who has taken those courses, they have raving reviews because she is very, very good at what she does. Tammy owns a private counseling practice where she largely works with couples. She has free resources available on her website, and that website will be linked in the show notes, as well as a couple other things that I plan on talking about with her. (laughs) She also offers numerous making love retreats, honeymoon workshops, and dating boot camps each year. Published in 2021, Tammy's first book, God Made Girls and Boys, is a beautiful children's book addressing agency, gender, accountability, and hope in our heavenly parents' eternal plan. Her second book, Replenish, Creating Sexual Fulfillment in Marriage, was published in January 2023, which is super recent and new. So exciting. Most importantly, Tammy is forever grateful to be a wife, mother, and grandmother. I love that. What a perfect way to end that. Well, awesome. I am so happy to have you here, mm-hmm. Tammy. <laughs> so. Thank you, Maddie. I'm excited to be Yeah. Okay. So I just want to dive right in, Tammy. Well, first off, what what got you like into this space? I was just barely listening to your episode on Richard Oster's podcast, Listen, Learn, and Love. And I thought it was really interesting. I want you to kind of talk about like your parents and how they approached this subject and how that led to you getting into this space. Sure. So I grew up, you know, I'm old. And so this is back in the late 60s, early 70s. And there was a new book that came out that my dad was a medical doctor and a new book came out that a doctor speaks to five to eight year olds. And my mom got that little book and she sat down with me and individually and she did it for all of my siblings before I turned eight years old. And she read this little book and it was so basic about a sperm meets an egg and from this can a baby grow and there were there was a picture of the statue of David Michelangelo's David that was there and so you could kind of look and see what a naked man looked like and there was a statue that didn't show anything below the waist of Venus de Milo so you're seeing breasts and that's as so that's as explicit as it got as far as imagery mm-hmm. <clears throat> but they taught ta- taught me about reproduction. And I also learned that, you know, creating life and becoming parents is one of the most significant things that we do on earth. And I can remember in that conversation with my mom, um, at that time, I asked her, how long did it take for this to happen? And she told me like five to 10 minutes. I couldn't correlate the idea that this was such a significant thing, that one of the most significant things that we do on earth, and it would only take five to 10 minutes. It just didn't seem like that lined up very well. And she, my mom put the book by her bed and said, 
in a drawer and said, anytime we wanted to learn more, we could come and read that book. And so I was looking at that book all the time and I was fascinated and curious about sexuality. And I never felt, honestly, I never felt guilty for being curious. I could ask questions. I did ask questions from my parents. Uh, I would always look in my dad's medical books for any anything I could find in his office about sexuality. I can remember in Sunday school learning about David and Bathsheba, Bathsheba and thinking, oh, wow, I can learn in the Bible about sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I remember being so disappointed when <laughs> it said that he lay with her. It's like, that doesn't help me at all. So, um, then as I got older in my junior high years, I had an older sister that had a a sexually explicit, not vulgar in any way, but had more of a sexually explicit romance novel in her room that I read. And, oh, that was so exciting to me. And I thought, oh, this is what I wanted to understand. And so I think I was born with the gift of being curious about sex and born with a passion to understand it, to accept it as a beautiful, joyful part of our existence on earth and want to teach and help others feel feel likewise. Mm. Wow, I love it. And I I really think it's interesting in your story how there's just there really is not an aspect of shame. And I honestly mm. think that that is kind of rare, which is like sad to say, but I think it's amazing because it gives you such a such an important role to play in this field. So I love that. And I agree. It should be totally shame-free. Was that, was it, it, was it always a shame-free like conversation, like a pretty open conversation around your house? I, I don't remember as a family that we talked a lot about sex Mm -hmm. with each other, but I always knew I could ask my parents anything and they would answer me. And so most of the conversations I had was more one-on-one with my parents, asking specific questions as I got older. There were so many things that I had questions about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I remember asking so many questions and, and never, they never made me feel like I was bad for having those thoughts. They would just answer the questions as best as they could. And, and I felt really safe in my curiosity. I can tell you honestly, Maddie, if I had grown up with access to the internet and to having a phone, a smartphone, I know that mass pornography would be something I definitely would have been looking at. I just was curious and wanted to know. As an adult, I don't really view porn at all, but some of the things when I get imagery for lectures or for you know professional re- purposes sometimes i see things that i think wow if i had seen any of that when i was younger i think i could have really gotten excited and wanted to view that a lot more yeah, yeah it's true but i had the prefrontal cortex was all filled in long before the internet so i feel like in a lot of ways it's just such a disadvantage it for so many young people, yeah. in this this generation for what? Let's see, we've had the internet at our fingertips for about twenty years yeah. now, and so it's that's made it really challenging, I think, for a lot of young people, yeah, and older people. Yeah, well, so in your practice, just 
talking about healthy sexuality how do you think specifically like pornography harms that the messaging that's being spread about healthy sexuality how how do you think that pornography harms that especially for young young kids well there's several things first of all porn typically is devaluing women it's is about male typically male about male pleasure very little about female pleasure and so messages that women and men are both getting boys and girls are both getting is that women love hard thrusting deep penetrative sex Mm -hmm. that's fast and furious and or even violent and men don't know how to slow down and make it so it's pleasurable for women when people choose to masturbate to porn which is common they are te- they're having solo sex basically and they're teaching themselves how to their pacing their sexual pacing and what feels best when and as they learn that alone and then move into a marriage relationship which sexuality is intended to be relational mm-hmm. And so you get into a relationship and you already kind of know how to have sex with yourself. It can create a lot of contention within the relationship as you try to make this work in a relationship. I, I work with, I don't work a ton with couples working through pornography problems. I usually send those to other clinicians that I really trust. And this is kind of their specialty. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, in sex therapy, there will be situations where I can help couples start re after they've stopped viewing porn and kind of worked through some of their habits. I work with couples to learn how to have sex in a relationship. Mm. And so a disadvantage, a huge disadvantage to how mat pornography negatively impacts healthy sexuality is the pattern of having solo sex and not having it be relational. Mm. The idea that the pleasure is that women are pleasured similarly to men. That's very different. Mm. The violence that often is perpetuated towards women is, is not, it shouldn't be considered sexual. And that's a mixed message that a lot of people get when they choose to view porn that starts transitioning into more hardcore porn. Those are the things that right off the top come to mind. Also, the shame and secrecy involved. Marriage is built on a foundation. It has to be built built on trust. If it's not built on trust, it's not going to work. It's like if you build a home and the foundation is cracked, the rest of the home you build on top of it isn't going to come together and stay stay together well. The same goes with a marriage relationship. If you can't be honest and trustworthy in your marriage, it's very likely that your relationship is not going to be, you might stay together, but it doesn't mean you're going to be happy together. And it's not going to be a marriage that you would really thrive in, either one of you. Yeah. And so that shame and secrecy also really negatively impacts marriage. Yeah, it's true. Shame and secrecy play a huge part. You you mentioned masturbation to pornography. And I'm curious, because you have such a message of healthy sexuality, what does healthy sexuality look like when you're single, you know, and you don't have that significant other, but 
you're not really looking to turn to pornography what does that look like and maybe even run us through if you would as like a kid and then as a teen and then as a an, an adult as a single kid teen and adult okay so this isn't a new issue a lot of times people think that being single and sexual is a is a new deal within the church and there throughout the generations of time there have been people who've been single that have not been in sexual relationships but have kept covenants because today there are people are more people are single in the church than ever before more than half of the church population in the world is single i think it's a, an issue that we hear a lot more about mm. today i just like in May, March, I was asked, at, they did a big conference for those who had experienced loss, typically widows and widows or, widowers or divorcees mm-hmm. at BYU. And I was asked to teach a workshop on being simultaneously single and sexual. And that's something I'm also going to record privately and have available on my website for people to to use it's very in depth about an hour long steps and things that you can do so I won't get into a ton of that mm-hmm. right now but to kind of refer people that there's a lot more information I can share there I also have I host the live your why podcast and I have an episode in season 1 with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife where we talk about being single and sexual simultaneously it is such a powerful episode and so I can't remember. Let me look really quick which which episode it is. I I don't really remember off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No worries. And for for the listeners, we'll totally link those down below if you're curious. Totally go check them out because both Tammy Hill, Jennifer Finlay's, and Fife that is like power duo right there. <laughs> well, Jennifer's Jennifer's incredible. Really- that was. Such a fun interview and one that I refer back to frequently. And I've answered, I probably a hundred questions or more Mm -hmm. from people about how to do this. And so, first of all, I think understanding our sexual theology is probably the most essential thing for uh, members of the church to do and for parents to understand for themselves and to start teaching their children young. In my new book that came out this year called Replenish, the entire first part of this book is on our sexual theology. When you understand why we have the gift of being sexual and you can put principle and truth around it, that helps you make up your your mind. It helps you choose what you're going to live. It helps you choose your why, kind of mm-hmm. like I do in my own podcast, but If you understand the doctrine and you understand the true principles around sexuality and you're being taught that, you're going to be able to make decisions that are mature, a lot more mature. Mm. And those decisions should be what then guides your thinking around your sexuality. Your sexuality doesn't drive you. Mm. You own your sexuality and you control your sexuality. What needs to be understood is why this is such an important force in our mortal journey. And it is a force for good. And unfortunately, the adversary has made it a source for evil. Mm -hmm. 
And so being able to understand the goodness of it, not be ashamed of the fact that you have sexual arousal, that you have sexual desire. Those are normal, healthy responses to being human and knowing how to manage those responses, what to do when you get this in these situations where you see something or you hear something or you're thinking about something. What are you going to choose to do in that moment and choose to live with integrity? Mm. I think understanding our theology is essential from the get-go. More than any generation, I, I, in my classes, I taught at BYU, I really, really believe this generation, your age, Maddie, you guys need to be comfortable understanding sexuality, understanding our sexual theology, mm. and being able to talk about it without feeling awkward. Your children will need you desperately to be a resource for them Mm. for truth around sexuality. And so I think theology is essential. I think making sure you're having conversations as, as you advance in life and grow up, and maybe you're not marrying as soon as you wanted to marry. And in dating situations today, I know how they are. They're so focused on the physical Dating and making out are almost synonymous anymore. And that's not helpful when you're trying to really get to know someone. You get to know someone without having the physical aspect of a relationship involved. You see people more clearly and you don't have as much emotional engagement that can be confusing. And so taking time in dating relationships before you start kissing, Mm -hmm. before you start any of the physical. Make sure that you are getting to know someone, really know them. And then as you get to know them, you can determine if you can really trust them. And as you learn to trust them, you learn if you can count on them, that they really are going to show up when they say they're going to show up. They're not going to ghost you. And as you learn to rely on them, then you, I really encourage couples to do a two-week exclusive dating without touch where they talk together and decide they're going to exclusively date for two weeks, not make out, not do any of the physical stuff, but really see each other, do things together that are real life, do things together that are fun, do things together that are hard and keep your eyes open while you're doing those activities. And at the end of the two weeks, decide, is this something that I like? Is it, am I feeling like this person's inspiring me? Mm. Do I want to become more, because I'm with this person. And if those are the, if this is the way both of you are feeling, then I would say, okay, keep exclusively dating and start doing some of the touch now Mm -hmm. and see what happens. If you're not at the end of two weeks, really being inspired by this person, or you're kind of feeling like maybe you're not genuinely showing up or, or you're not, as you observe them, you think, you know, I really need to have people in my life in a marriage relationship that are willing to work hard, you know, those, you see people clearly when you don't have the physical aspect in your dating relationship. And so if you, at the end of the two weeks decide, Hey, I just don't think this is really for me. You don't have all of the baggage that comes with having made out a ton. You don't have any of that. You just can really leave as friends Mm -hmm. and, That is how you can date someone and still be their friend is when the dating doesn't, isn't focused and doesn't involve a lot of the physical touch. Mm -hmm. 
as you continue in life and maybe are still single in adulthood or are widowed. I was widowed for five years or divorced. You have now you navigate this aspect of your life and you need to still do it in the truthfulness of the principles taught around our sexual theology and make sure you know that your you you your spirit your your soul drives your sexuality it does not drive you and yeah it's hard i remember the years of being a widow i was a widow for 5 years and i missed my husband you know with my natural curiosity around sexuality i loved being sexual with my husband and it was so hard to have him gone and not have this part of me being able to be expressed anymore. But you learn to manage that with sublimation, which is actually a, a term that Freud came up with is I'm so utilizing glad you're sex- talking about this. I was hoping you would. <laughs> it's, well, it's utilizing this sexual energy in ways that are creative and bring you peace. And people will say, well, what does that really look like in it? For each of us, it might look a little different. Um, but if you can think of things that give you energy that you do, maybe you're creating something with your hands or maybe you really enjoy rock climbing or whatever it is. If there are things that you really enjoy doing and you naturally resonate with it and when you're doing those activities, it almost feels like a flow experience, mm. I would sublimate with those activities. I would, and that's what I did. I learned how to do stained glass. I learned how to quilt. I learned how to, I painted a ton. I love to paint. So a lot of my sexual eros energy, which is a good, expansive, creative, life-giving energy, instead of directing and utilizing and expressing that in sex, I was able to utilize that in in these other activities. And I would find a lot of peace and satisfaction and happiness in doing that. That didn't mean that it was always easy and that I didn't ever have sexual arousal or desire. That's not what I'm saying. But it is a way to be healthy in your maturity, your sexual maturity, Mm -hmm. to live aligned and to utilize that energy in ways that still feel really fulfilling for you. Hmm. And so to clarify on the sublimation, that is not at all equivalent to suppression, you would say, right, of those sexual feelings. It's providing an outlet for them. Is that kind of what you're saying? That's a lot better way to say it. Yeah, suppression, suppression, repressing and suppressing sexual urges typically or sexual feelings typically, according to the science, we act out on those urges because we're just holding, we're kind of just, it's like if you're, have you ever been in a swimming pool and you've tried to push a, a rubber, a rubber ball underwater and keep it underwater? It, it doesn't work. It just explodes out really quickly. And I think when we don't utilize this energy into things that, you know, an output of this energy into things that we enjoy, but we're just trying to hold on to it and not think about it and not let ourselves feel this way. It's like that rubber ball in the pool. It just will mm. erupt. And and a lot of times we behave in ways that are without as much integrity. Yeah, sometimes you will masturbate. Sometimes you might even view porn and masturbate. I don't, that wasn't particularly a problem for me mm-hmm. 
but I know that it is for others. And so knowing that when you're just trying to not think about things or you're trying to hold off and you're never going to do something again, and it is a very, it's not attainable, Mm -hmm. but when you can utilize that energy and put it into something else, it is attainable. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, Sarah Brewer, I don't know if this was, I love Sarah. Oh my gosh. Me too. (laughs) Me too. Seriously. She really is. I think she puts it in such a good way because a lot of times I had heard, oh, if you're feeling the urge to view pornography, just go quick, read your scriptures. Right. And oh. yeah, <laughs> you're like, yeah, that's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> right? I know I agree. And actually, I haven't had him on the podcast yet. But Daniel Burgess, he's a therapist. Mm-hmm. And he talks about kind of, when you do that, it actually makes your mind associate the scriptures with the pornography use. And then you're just <laughs> in a bigger knot than you were before. And so mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've also heard, you know, go read your scriptures or just go do a different activity as soon as possible. And it was definitely more of a fear-based thing, right? And it was just go do something as soon as possible to get yourself out of there. But I love Sarah Brewer's and your approach, it sounds like, on this of, yes, go, sorry, oh my gosh, my throat. Sorry. Mine too today. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's contagious (laughs) through the screen, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, it must be. (laughs) No, but talking about go do another thing, right? But don't go do that thing Mm -hmm. to suppress that emotion. Go do that thing and feel the urge through it and like completely allow it. And, you know, just don't try not to keep yourself in isolation, but don't go do something else in order to suppress that emotion. Go do it to feel that emotion more fully. Like go on a walk and acknowledge everything you're feeling. And I think that's such a such a good and helpful way to put it. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. I mean, I think I think there are some maybe church leaders or parents who might might have even cringed at what you just said about, oh sure you're gonna you're gonna masturbate sometimes. Like, what? Like <laughs> so so can you explain a little bit more of that? What does that look like when you are trying to just kind of fulfill healthy sexuality as as maybe a teen or, or an adult? Well, I know a lot of people do cringe when I talk about masturbation. I have to say almost every semester at BYU, and I taught for 10 years, I was, someone would complain about my view on masturbation and, and we'd have this conversation with the dean of the college and it would be like, it's okay. You, it's the same message I'm always teaching. And the message is that we're human. We are on earth to learn to discern between good and evil. That's the bottom line. And as we learn through our choices, we learn, you know, that that didn't, in the end, choosing to masturbate didn't make me feel any better. It actually made me feel kind of worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel congruent. My I don't feel like my body and my spirit are congruent as a soul or I, whatever it is, we're here to learn between the good and the evil. And then from those choices learn to choose with integrity for things that will bring us joy, that will help us feel more peace. Are we going to do it every single time? Heavens no. How many times have I told myself, I'm not going to eat a dozen cookies when I make cookies this weekend. I'm just going to have three. 
and I have the best of intentions, but you know, sometimes I do it and sometimes I don't. (laughs) And so it's just, we're here to manage, manage the flesh. And I don't think the flesh is bad. I don't think the flesh is wicked. I think the flesh is just part of who we are. And as we learn to manage things that the desires that we have that bring us pleasure, um, as we learn to manage those in ways that are aligned with our integrity, we become more like our heavenly parents, which is exactly why we're here. We learn through our mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so we will all make mistakes. And there used to be, I'm so grateful that a lot of the print in print publications in the 60s and 70s that the church had about masturbation are no longer in print we don't find those anymore they're not on the website and i'm or in the live gospel library i'm so grateful because those messages were shaming very shaming and fear producing that just that you're damned if you masturbate or that you're do you're you're absolutely you know sinning against your own body if you choose to masturbate and I di- I disagree. I think you're that we're all learning through our bodies. We are embodied spirits learning how to progress in the flesh. And it isn't easy. And so as we learn, we we have the truthfulness of the doctrine or the theology and we have what we choose to do. Mm-hmm. And as we understand the truthfulness and as we do things that bring us more happiness because it's aligned with what is true. We'll choose to do that. Eventually we'll continue to choose that more naturally and more steadily, Mm. but we cannot freak out about masturbation as parents. It's just, you know, talk about this. This is an urge. What are some things we can do? I don't think that choosing to, I don't think it's wrong to pray for help. I don't think it's wrong to read your scriptures, but if you are, like you're saying, if you're choosing to do that to, to, to kind of withhold or suppress something you're wanting or thinking about, you're, you're not really taking care of that energy that you've got. And you've got to do things in the moment to help you utilize that energy. You, there's things we can do to, like, if you know that you're more tempted to view porn or masturbate when you go to bed with your phone, then just keep your phone in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Make it really inconvenient to go get your phone. If you know that there are certain times of day that you're going to be more tempted to eat chocolate, not that chocolate's bad, but a lot of chocolate's not healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Then you Then you make plans so that for me, three or four o'clock is always when I want to treat every day for most of my adult life. And I don't know why, but I know if I have a healthy snack ready at three or four o'clock, mm-hmm. I'm a lot more likely to eat my healthy snack than to turn to treats. Mm-hmm. And so we just need to use our brains in setting up circumstances that are going to help us succeed and, and, and you know, kind of set guide rails up for us to succeed, realizing that there will be times that we still slip up and it's okay just to get back up. I always teach, and this will make me cry. It makes me cry all the time when I think about it. But several years ago, my oldest grandson was learning to walk and my son and his wife had their arms out and they were cheering him on as they were, he was taking these few steps between them. 
and he would fall all the time and they would help him up and say, you can do this, Malone. Come on, Malone, you've got it. And their arms were reached out and they were encouraging him every single step of the way. And I think I, I'm not, I'm not on drugs. I'm not crazy. <laughs> I don't think I you have to either. say, I, <laughs> but I felt I had this little vision and I'm not a visionary person, but in the moment, as I was observing them, it almost felt like the, my, the roof of my home opened and the heavens were above and we had a heavenly mother and a heavenly father on either side, opening their arms out towards this little toddler saying, come on, come on home, get up, keep trying, you've got this. And ever since that experience, I've just felt how important it is for us just to encourage each other to get back up when we do slip up. Mm. They want us home. We want, your parents want your very best. They want your success. And our heavenly parents want it as well. So choosing to shame and to, you would never tell a little child learning to walk. You're such a loser. You're never going to make it. You're never going to learn to walk. You should just give up right now. You know, we never would do that. And I don't, I know our heavenly parents would never tell us things like that as we slip up in bigger ways than falling, as we learn to walk, as we make mistakes, as we sin, sometimes as we intentionally sin. They are, they're wanting us to get up and keep coming home towards them. Yeah, it's so true. And I think, I think we have a thing or two to learn from those little kids, right? Because, I mean, when they Mm -hmm. fall down and slip up, they're not all of a sudden hugely questioning their identity. Like, oh my gosh, I've fallen. Who am I? I'm never going to learn to walk, you know? No, they just, they just get back right back up because they've got their view set right on their parents. And I think that we can do that too. If we have our view set right on our heavenly parents, we know that I think I, I think I mentioned this in my first episode, but I just love it so much. Smith Alley, I love the way that he puts it. I love him. He's, he's so cool. He's serving a mission now. So exciting. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he, he said, I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I'm no longer like hiding from God. I'm facing God and I might take step forward, steps forward and I might take steps backward, but I'm still always facing him. And so mm-hmm. I, I just think that's put so beautifully and so perfectly. And I think that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to feel like we have to hide and and just feel shame. He wants us to face him and to tell him all of our concerns and our worries and our fears. And I, I, I think, totally. yeah, I think you're right. It doesn't change. Those heavenly parents cheering us on as we go walk towards them, you know, regardless of if we're falling like children or if we are like completely stumbling and falling flat on our face. He just wants us to keep moving and keep going towards him. Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. I think this whole time it's been really funny. So I think both you and I are very like principles based people, I guess. And so this whole this whole podcast I've been like I've been like, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. But just tell me black and white. Give me a black and white answer. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> but it's been kind of a, an interesting change of change of mind because I don't think there is a black and white an- answer as far as, especially as far as masturbation goes. I think that that is something that you you learn about the principles about it and then you make your own decision. And I love that that's the way that you put it. You're like, 
even being this, you know, marriage and family therapist, knowing all of these things, writing a book about healthy sexuality, I'm not going to give you a black and white answer. And so I, I really love that. I really love that. Thank you. I, I really think principles should guide behavior. I've, and that's why I really try to teach principles, Maddie, is because if you understand the principle, you should be able, it should be able to help you make the choice. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay. Well, so I want to, I want to dive into the last two questions, actually. So first, what keeps you on the front lines in the war against pornography? Why care about a subject like this? Why do I care? Because I just care about the human family. I see our our world shifting so rapidly. I I see the confusion with even within, you know, elect covenant people, confusion about morality, confusion about sexuality, confusion about gender, confusion about identity. And I I think we I want to help people understand that it's okay to understand the truth and to make choices around true principles, even if they're not popular. Mm. And I'm okay being bold. And I do get a lot of hate mail, unfortunately. Mm. I, But I'm not worried about it. I believe I've been given this ability to talk about sexuality in a comfortable way that typically helps other people feel they understand sexuality better and they're and they also feel mm, somehow they feel like it's easier to I've been told often from my students that I'm able to talk about things in a way that is reverent and fun at the same time and I believe that's what sex is it's a way that adult married people can play together and have fun together but it's also very very sacred reverence space. And I like being able to teach it that way. I will forever be bold in declaring my testimony that I know Jesus Christ lives. I know this is his gospel. I know that as time continues to move forward, life around us will continue to become increasingly chaotic and confusing. And I want to be a source of light to help people around me hopefully get back to heaven. I love it. Amen. And I think you are. And I think you are doing such a great job. And especially this new book is, I've just heard like amazing, amazing reviews about it. And that book, there, it's on Amazon, right? Yeah, it's been in the top 10. So ever since it was wow. published, it's been in the Congrats. top 10 books in Mormonism on Amazon. And we've I've printed three times. I've gone to printing now over 6,000 copies. And the first so people know that are listening, they think, oh, I can't really get that until I'm married. Well, yeah, you can. And some people will feel like embarrassed that they have a book about sex, maybe before they're actually engaging in sex relationally. But you are a sexual being long before you're married. Mm -hmm. And I think the first part of the book is all, like I said, it's about understanding our sexual theology. And the second part of the book is understanding your sexual, I call it your sexual soil. Mm -hmm. It's what you grew up in. It's how you 
believe what you believe about sex, what your attitudes are about sex. And a lot of those act, attitudes and beliefs are healthy and there's a lot that are not healthy. And it I go through and give you ways to explore and decide for yourself what's true for you in regards to the things that you've been you're, you've been raised in and nurtured in. Some families, like my family of origin, I could ask my parents about sex and I was safe and I got good information. A lot of people don't grow up in an environment where they feel they can talk about sex with anyone. And, and so in not being able to talk about it, it sends a huge unhealthy message that this is bad or that this is something to be afraid of or dirty or whatever. And I... And so you've grown up, we've all grown up in sexual soil, I like to call it that, where we it's informed us about our sexuality. And part two is helping you inform you about your sexuality with true, true principles and true doctrine. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that is amazing. Seriously groundbreaking stuff because when in the history of ever of these conversations has there been something that's so open and so practical. And so I really do think that that is just revolutionizing the space. And so thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I'm so glad that you did that. And yeah, for anyone listening who's interested in the book, it'll be linked in the show notes. I'll link also like Tammy's website. Her her podcast is amazing. I'll link that as well. Is there anything, is there any other links that I'm missing out? <laughs> I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Perfect. Perfect. So those are, I send out a monthly newsletter. If people want that, they can sign up for that. It's, that's pretty much it. I'm not at BYU. I retired last month. And so I'm not at BYU teaching there any longer, but, and I'm just, but I'm around. You're around. You're around. And she seriously is just, (laughs) she's a fountain of resources. And so if you are looking for more Um, clarification or or questions on anything that we talked about in the podcast, I'm sure that she has some answers for it. And then I want to ask you the final question. What would you say to a young girl who's struggling with pornography right now? Number one, I'd say you are not alone. My sweet friend, you are not alone. There are many girls that have a challenge with pornography, have a challenge with masturbation and pornography, and you can you can certainly get help and reach out to to me if you want to have some or to Maddie she's got all kinds of resources on this excellent podcast but reach out and get some help to learn how to manage your struggle with pornography is doesn't is that your porn viewing or your sexual desires or your arousal patterns, they don't need to control you and learn how to control them. Mm-hmm. And and you'll feel a lot more peace, a lot more happiness. Understand, I think, like I just mentioned about replenish in the first two books, if you understand, or first two parts of the book, if you understand your our sexual theology and if you understand and decide for yourself what's healthy sexual soil for you as a person, you're going to be able to be all over this struggle and it's not going to be managing you anymore. You will be in control. Amen. Amen. And that is so possible. I think sometimes we hear that and we're like, yeah, you know, she's on the other side. No, it's possible. I promise you it is possible and it's achievable. 
and you've got people cheering you on. You've got me and Tammy cheering you on. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's, you, you think about, you know, as we learn about the creation and Adam and Eve and the garden and the fall, the, the, I think, well, I don't know this, but in my study, it, it's like the very first emotion that we hear about anyway is fear. Mm. And it's the adversary is Satan that puts that fear for them to go hide and to not be naked before God, but to go hide and cover themselves up. And I think when you choose not to stand naked before God, so to speak, that you're letting the adversary dominate your thinking mm. and we cannot give him power. You have power over him. You have power over his hosts. You have power over your own destiny. And I know you can make changes. I see miracles in my office all the time. People can change for the better. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And fear is not from God. I love in the last episode I did with my dad, he said that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. Hate is just a byproduct of of the form of fear. And so I just I think that's true. And I think it goes along with the scripture of perfect love casteth out all fear. Yes. Yes. I think it's true. So okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Tammy. I really appreciate it. I think you're amazing. (laughs) Thank you, Maddie. I'm so glad you asked me and it's been so fun to be with you and to meet you today. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much everyone for listening. If you have a story to share, please reach out to me on Instagram at Sisters on the Frontlines or via email at sisters on the frontlines at gmail.com. Please remember you are not alone and there there will be a point as you get help and as you talk to people and you connect with other people and connect with God that the whatever you're struggling with with pornography does not need to control you and you can control it and God is cheering you on no matter how many times you slip and fall God is cheering you on we are cheering you on if you enjoyed this episode please share it and give the podcast a rating on Apple podcast and on Spotify so we can reach more young women parents and leaders And until next episode, keep up the good fight on the front lines.